His name is Ish Berry, and this is Berry Media Unrestricted. He explores the city of Houston, looking for people who are not afraid to get unrestricted. Interesting men and women who have an extraordinary journey, doing the kind of things that make great stories to tell for the rest of us. Now get ready for Unrestricted. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Unrestricted Podcast. I'm your host, Ish Berry. Joining me today is friend of the podcast, a longtime guest. Actually, hell, you've been with us. Uh, we have you on the show now once every year. Uh, we have the uh, esteemed, the prestigious, the knowledgeable Dr. Michelle McCain, Doctor of Education, back in the building talking about all things education, especially in the black community. Uh, Welcome back to the show, Michelle. Excuse me, Dr. McCain. Say that? You oh, that was a good introduction. Say that. I, don't, I sound real good. <laughs> that is the one thing I, I I think about the most when I'm when I'm getting prepared for episodes. Like, I'm gonna intro this person. I gotta throw some power words out there and whatnot. I'm glad you like that one. Oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, and anybody, if you're if you're tuning in for the first time or you're just tuning in to this particular episode, you haven't gone back in the archives. Uh, Dr. McCain here has been, hell, we we going on three seasons, and you've you've done at least one episode a season. Um, I know, you know, I'm gonna try yeah. to do it a little bit more often, but definitely one a season. Yeah, yeah, no, nah, and I appreciate that. I know, I know, as a doctor of education, your schedule is crazy, and everything going on in education, especially in this uh, soon-to-be post-COVID era, has been you know, bonkers to say the least. I appreciate any time you could spare to come on and chop it us with chop it up with us here at the podcast. So my hats off to you. Um so getting us started, we're gonna change the template here of the podcast. We had a lot of people as we was promoting this episode emailed us with questions. So I want to get to the questions first so I don't forget nobody. <laughs> um, I, I've done that before and actually get accidentally forget questions and then you know, some listener hit me like, you didn't ask, you didn't ask my question. I was like, oh, sorry, my bad. <laughs> so I'm trying to do better, y'all. So, um, yeah, we had a lot of people write in. And so, you know, let's dive deep in the rabbit hole on this. Um, first question here is from Terry. Uh, Terry wrote in, why are books by African-American authors consistently being questioned and reviewed for content? But no one questions Romeo and Juliet. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> <laughs> that's a valid question. Don't that's a va- it's a valid that question. It's, it's a valid question. It does speak to diversity. So the thing about it is, you know, you do what's comfortable. You, you know, we've been teaching Romeo and Juliet probably since it was created, and especially in ninth grade English one. Um, and so it's something that's comfortable. It's something that most people already know what's in it. More so they know, well, they know what's not in it, but more so they know what is in it. When you have newer authors who are writing books about, you know, the true history of this, the true history of that, or, you know, things like that, um, people get nervous. You know, it makes people nervous to know, to not have really any control over what that author may or may not say. Um, And I think sometimes the truth is harsh, especially if you feel like the truth is something that is uh, you don't want to share. So it's easy to teach the classics and well, it's easy to call it a classic because it's like, well, this is timeless. This is something that, you know, appeals to different themes in life and different things like that. Now, I I 
do not necessarily like teaching Romeo and Juliet because I feel like it it promotes suicide culture. It promotes, you know, disobeying your parents. Um, you know, there's just a lot of themes in there. It's a lot of underlining themes that we don't talk about as educators because that's not part of the curriculums that are built. We're built to, you know, talk about the romantic love story of Romeo and Juliet. But, um, you know, it's a tragic story, itself, you know. The way it was written. Yeah, it's it's very tragic, but we're but we're not taught to talk about the tragedy that it really is. We're taught to look at it as William Shakespeare is one of the greatest authors of all time. So therefore, what he wrote, he didn't, you know, it doesn't have any hidden, you know, meanings, and we teach it for that. But and it's like I said, it's just easier to say, okay, well, I know what's in this one, but I don't know that necessarily what that author is about or what they will write. Okay. Okay. That's good. Thanks, Terry, for that question. I was like, wow. He went way back on that one, Romeo and Juliet. We just taught it, so I understand. We just taught Romeo and Juliet probably our last year in the English one, so. Damn. Uh, next question here from Alola. Why is it that more often than not, white women educators seem to get out of doing the challenging classroom lows because they are uncomfortable, yet the black women educators are expected to master the load without complaint. Damn, I experienced that firsthand all my years, especially once my family moved from Louisiana to Texas, where and it was a culture shock for me. Like when I went to Persia, it's like these huge classrooms, you know, <laughs> and then going to high school and it's like, wow, these classrooms got 50 kids in them. What the hell? You know, yeah, I experienced that first time all through middle and high school. So what, what's your take on that, Doc? So I don't like the question and I'll say, and I, don't, okay. I understand the question, but let me tell you, I don't like the question because I feel like it's a two, it's a two part system. I don't like putting things in black and white because that's not always diversity. Um, and diversity can come in many ways, shapes and forms. What I do understand is that, yes, there are teachers who are not considered as um, maybe as not as knowledgeable. Maybe the classroom management is not as up to par. And so I feel like it's a two part fold as in on one hand, if I as a person who doesn't really want to do something, no matter what color I am, if I if I don't want to do something, if I fail, they'll move me. And that's how education works. If they if I fail as an educator to get the scores or to pass enough kids or, you know, to to manage my classroom, then I can get moved to a cushy position. Mm. The issue is and I'll say this as a black educator, I know for sure that I'm not willing to let my reputation tank for the sake of being moved to a cushy position. Um. I, I, I welcome and I do want to also, you know, I do want to move up. Yeah, of course, that was always my goal in when I was in K-12, but at what cost? And I remember this and I say this because I had an educator who told me, I had an assistant principal tell me this like my fourth year in education. I was like, how do I get out of special ed? What do I have to do? Tired of being a special ed teacher, been one for years, is very, very draining. He was like, you're going to have to fail. Damn, he said, wow. <laughs> And he was a white man. He was a white man. He told me, he's like, you have to fail. And I was like, Jesus. Because uh, he was like, what you do, you do too well. Like, you manage the students very well. You you know, the students come in there and they're excited to learn from you. You know, you oh. make these students actually want to know more 
than what most educators do for special ed students. And until you have a year that shows that you are not successful, nobody's going to move you out of there because you're filling so many gaps and so many holes that why would I, if I move you, who am I going to get to replace you? And I'm like, that's not fair. So I can't move up because I'm good <laughs> is what you're telling me. Damn, you know, and that's what really that's happens. Crazy. It's like you get, that's what happens. People, um, the stronger teachers more so don't get to move up because they're good at what they do. And because it's like, I can sacrifice moving someone to instructional coaching or instructional planning or, you know, a, a support specialist because they're not affecting the students. They might give you a you know, curriculum that you don't like and that's up to you to use it or not to use it. But as an educator in the classroom, I have parents, you know, parents are trusting their students with that teacher. And that teacher has to be able to not only control the class, but educate those students and give them the curriculum needed to, in the state of Texas, pass the STAR test and then be able to go to the next level with the foundations needed. And if you're not a teacher that can do that and you have shown that you can't do that, I, even as an administrator, would move you. You know, we're going to move you out and move somebody in who can do it. And then if I see that you're, you know, if I see that you're successful, why would I move you? But it's 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 a not it's an unfair situation. But it's like, why would I move you when you're probably you're helping me maintain what I need to maintain, which is the instructional program of the school? Wow. And you know what? I never thought that was like that in education. I can speak firsthand. It's like that in the corporate world too, because myself, mm -hmm. I've been declined or denied promotions or even not even just promotes, but just a transfer to another department because I was too good at my job and there'll been nobody to replace me. Mm -hmm. And just like you said, when, when you're superior, it's like, what, how, how does that make it make sense to me? So you can't train my replacement or you don't want me to train. I can't get this promotion or get this transfer, but before I leave, train my successor, you know, to do what I did, you know? <laughs> but see the difference about corporate America and education in corporate America, y'all yeah, can give you the fundamentals of how the job is going and what to do here, there, and to the, and you do that just fine. Mm -hmm. I can't train a teacher to be me. No matter, I can tell you all the bells and whistles that I do. I can tell you everything that I've done to be successful, but I can't, you might not have my charisma. You might not have my flair. You might not have my ability to connect to the students the way I do. You might not have the ability to connect to the parents and do parent outreach the way I do, because I can Every teacher is truly individual, no matter what. Yeah. We all go to the same, you know, educator prep courses and we all get our degrees. But how we do it when we close our doors is just totally different. I've been on several teams and we all have the same curriculum. But how one teacher teaches it versus how another teacher teaches it is just totally different because of your experiences, who you are and how you shape yourself. So that comes out in the classroom. So, yes, I can teach you the curriculum. I can teach any teacher the curriculum. But to say that you're going to have the same impact that I would have, I can't teach that. No teacher can teach another teacher that it to have the same impact. The impact is always going to be different because people are different. And that's the thing about it. So like when I'm being told and I was and I realized that now in my career, like that was the reason why I couldn't move up because I was good at what I did. But I could not I could not sacrifice the kids that were coming to me, the parents that were trusting in me. Or my colleagues who expected me to do my job, I was not willing to sacrifice um, for the sake of getting a promotion. And 
it sucks because I think I sat in a classroom way longer than I should have. But I also understood that there was a higher purpose for me. And you know what? The students that I connected with and I reached out to and I was able to, you know, really benefit from. I definitely feel like that was better than me. Um than sacrificing. And so I don't think it's a white or black thing. I think it comes down to those who are willing to sacrifice versus those who are not. Gotcha. Okay. Now, and you know, uh, I, I want to tell a little story, if I may, is something I went through personally, because like on my current job, I work in e-commerce for a major retailer, right? And I was getting burned out in my position. And I had talks with my superiors like, hey, can you know, I come into work one day and do another aspect of the job, you know, and don't get me wrong, they listened to me, and maybe like the next day, you know, it was like, okay, ish, you know, you could go and do something else, and then after that, I was back at, you know, my actual role, which was like doing the sorting and, you know, distributing the stuff to, you know, customers or whatever, and then after a while, you know, a month or two passed by, and I look around, I'm like, shit, I'm doing the same damn thing, so that whole meeting was just, BS, you know what I mean? <laughs> like I just wasted my time, but then not but long story short, so around this time last year, I really or actually it was just after the a little bit before the uh the freeze last year, right? I just came into work, I was like, you know what? Lack of bad turn, excuse my French people, especially well, you know, no, I'm not gonna use profane. This is an education. So I was just like, you know what, screw it. I was gonna come into work, I'm gonna start slacking. If I don't feel like doing anything, you know, I'm going to be the typical, quote unquote, black employee and just start talking back. And then when I start doing that, then they start moving me around. It's like, <laughs> but no, but you know what? My superiors didn't have that talk with me. Or, you know, I take that back. They did. They did sing my praise and I thought they would just BSing me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, you know, still going back, it's like, OK, well, if I'm this good. Just bring in somebody who want to do my job. I can show them the ropes, show them the ins and outs. And I'm all about working smart, not hard. Show them my little um, my little tips and tricks to the job on how to make things easier. Like, okay, yeah, protocol says does this, but you'll shave off 10 minutes doing it my way and you're accomplishing the same thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I used to get in arguments with my uh, with one of my team leads. Uh, God bless her. Uh, and I, I used to just look, she's one of many days she wanted to hit me, throw something at me, or just pull out her weave or wig. <laughs> it's just, it been many days we used to just like argue on the job and say, like, you know what, just go do someone, something else. It's just get out my face. Like, yeah, I thought so. Okay, I get it now. Then I might like, owe her an apology after this. Shoot, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, damn, okay. Wow. Now, and I agree with you, like, not everything is a whole black versus white thing or, you know, anything like that. Okay. Next question here comes from Patrice. Oh, Patrice asked a good one here. Um, What would it take for schools to realize that when books have sexual content in them, sexual conversations are going to be brought up by kids? And it's a two part question. So that's the first part. Why when why have we been pushed to teach concepts but not explore the deeper connection students make and just sweeping the conversations under the rug? Um to be in all fairness, we're not the parents. Mm. So we have to be very cautious of what we communicate to students. 
even though we are teaching them, we are not, we're teaching them content. Like we teach English, we teach math, and mm -hmm. we want those to connect to real life experiences and real world experiences. But there are still some things that parents um, shield their students from, you know, because they're their babies and they don't want them to talk about certain things, no matter what grade level. And so it's the, it's the, it's more so the uncomfortableness of the parent of what the student is being exposed to than it is on the teacher not being able to go into that lane. And so I think it's just you want to walk a very careful line of I don't want to give you any opinion about things that you may or may not have an understanding for. Like, I don't want to tell you it's OK to do this. And, you know, you're like if we get into something sexual and I'm you know, telling you like, well, you know, I did it. You know, that's what I did back in the day. And it's like, <laughs> oh, well, my, well, you know, my, my teacher said, you know, when she was in level grade, she was on birth control. What? You know, so then you come home and the parent is like, why is that? Why are y'all talking about birth control and math? Like, you know, just the, these the conversations can get real dicey and real sticky. And it's always that it's always that um, that room of it can turn into it, the conversation can easily turn with students because students minds are always running and always going a, a, a bunch of different ways. So you want to be cautious because you really can't control you. Even if you're controlling the conversation, just you're perfect at controlling the conversation. Your students have a good understanding. It's always that one or two that can take the conversation into another way. And you'd be like, no, the conversation is over. We're not talking about that. And then it leaves like unanswered questions or it leaves like someone at the top when they still needed more information. So um, when books kind of get into sex, you know, just like Romeo and Juliet, going back to the other question, it did get into, you know, they did consummate their marriage or whatever, had a great little night together. Um, you want to be very cautious of how you present that. Like I, for me, I just breeze over it. I don't even say anything about it. Like I don't even, unless a kid was like, what does that mean? I'm like, look it up. You know, like, <laughs> let you do the research and then go talk to your parent about it. But I'm very cautious about things that I feel like parents should control because I don't like I think about if I had a student in the classroom, I wouldn't necessarily want them to be exposed to certain things. But then you also have to understand that students are more mature. They see more. I won't say they're more mature. They're definitely not there. Oh, yeah, they but they see, see more, more than what we saw when we were in school. They're right. exposed to a lot more at an earlier age. So when books get into, you know, sexual things and things like that, you have to understand, like, is it appropriate for the students and how does it connect to not only the, the literature or whatever they're doing in class, but how does it connect to real life? And, you you know, I think for it's, it's so hard on teachers to really have to be like we have to educate more than just uh, we have to educate more than just like the traditional classroom. We mm -hmm. have to educate more than just today we have to really really look at okay we're connecting and we're giving you these life lessons especially you know i teach high school or taught high school so we're giving you these life lessons and we're being very cautious on stepping around like the volcanoes in the room or stepping around the students whose minds are going to go somewhere else because that's dangerous for us we wind up getting let go or, you know, they well, we, you know, we we got to bring you into the office and talk about it because a parent said this and a parent said that. And it's like, but that's not like we get such a bad rap for just trying to open up the minds of students in a positive way, because I don't know any teacher that I and I know a lot of teachers. I don't know any educator who would, you know, just have a personal conversation about like 
their personal life in that regard, unless it unless there was like something that they could connect it to the book or whatever they were reading or history or whatever. And I think sometimes students go home and they will tell their parents like a part of the story and the parent hasn't listened to the full context and they just assume like, oh my God, no, they didn't. They were talking about this in class. And then they come back to our admin and they say, I have, they say what they heard and what they know. And then when we come in and try to like defend it, it's too late. So it's, it's better to kind of step around those conversations because what will happen is you'll be the one that you'll be the one that gets in trouble because they're going to blame you for not controlling the conversation or not, you know, redirecting the students' minds. And it's it's not fair because students have a lot of curiosity and Absolutely. students have a lot of questions about things that they may see on TV or they hear on the radio or they see on social media. And as an educator, you want to give them a well-informed understanding. But it's like, like I said, again, at what cost is it? Is it a cost to you as the educator to give them this understanding or is it at a cost to um, letting them say, you know, go home and ask your parent about it? You know, that type of stuff. And then even that's even risky because it's like, well, my teacher told me to come home and ask you about it. I'm like, no, I didn't, <laughs> say that. I didn't say go home and ask them about that. I said you had a question and the, it should be verb. I had a question. We were talking about this in class. I had this question. My teacher told me I should refer to you to see what the parent wants to communicate. But even that, it's, it's just it's just such a dicey when you get into sexual context and books, which, again, is why I feel like people want to say we know what's in literature and we know what's in certain books. But they really don't, because a lot of the books and a lot of classics and a lot of the things we read are very sexually motivated and very inappropriate to what I would consider literature. Yeah. But because people know those they feel like they're safe and it's just a, it's just damaging to us growing as a people in education it's damaging it's hard to grow as an educator because you don't have a control over that and then you wind up putting yourself in a box of saying i'm only going to say this and i'm only going to say that you know and it just becomes a, a it just becomes a bigger deal than necessary huh good good wow that that was deep now, and I, I was one of those kids growing up. It's like, hey, uh, Dad, Miss Johnson said I should ask you about <laughs> Right. It's like, you know, like my, my parents, your dad up there talking about Miss Johnson. Your dad up there ready to cut out Miss Johnson. And it's like, but, but you um, know, my, my parents are both level headed and, and they appreciate the teachers that would tell me, hey, ask your parents. So when I came home and I was like, hey, you know, Dr. McCain said, you know, we were talking about this in class. I should ask, you know, I should come and ask you about this. He's like, oh, okay. And, you know, my mom and my dad would explain it to me, especially with something, you know, sex related or something relationship wise or, mm -hmm. you know, something along those lines. And, you know, my, my parents didn't back away or shy from from anything. But <laughs> but I, I can understand what some parents, especially in this day and age, would kind of trip on that, you know, like, but it's like, hey. You know, I mean, educators you, you, are educators, not you, you have to be comfortable. Se, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think the thing is, you have to be comfortable with understanding that your child is getting older and growing up. Like, I mean, my first conversation I had, you know, my grandma raised me. I had my first conversation with her about birth control. Like I brought the conversation to her and she didn't shy away from it. But yeah. I think had, you know, had it been somebody else, you know, you bring like you trying to have sex. Like, no, I just. <laughs> I don't like cramps, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, so it, it could be, you know, it's just, but people just assume certain things and you, and I think sometimes, um, 
as educators, we're just more open to conversation. We're more open to, to giving you knowledge and presenting this thing to you in a way that you understand. And when you go out in the world, you have a, a better understanding. And I think parents sometimes really just want to like shield their, their children from like the harsh reality of growing up. And it's like a it's a two edged sword. Like, I understand you as a parent. You don't want you know, of course, I wouldn't want a fifth grader talking about this. But if you're in like 10th, 11th, 12th grade and this is what's in the book and this is what's in the literature, then, yes, I feel like there should be a, a balance of that conversation in context because it does apply. Gotcha. No, you're right. You're right. Oh, OK. So let's see here. Next question from Kyrie. She asked, or they asked, I don't know if it's a male or female, so I would say they asked two questions. Question one here, why do we have Black History Month, Women's History Month, Hispanic History Month lessons? All of this should be incorporated into a year-long curriculum, not just mentioned one month out the year. Okay, so that's a good question. So the thing about this is people get it confused between multicultural education and diversity in education. Okay. Multicultural education is exactly what Kylie said. We have a month for this, a month for that. We celebrate the culture of this and we talk about this and all of the wonderful attributes, you know, attributes that these people have made to our society. We do that for a month and we give everybody a month and that's multicultural education. But mm. diversity in education is saying, hey, I'm doing what's fair for each student in regard to what they need for their education. Point in case you might say, OK, I might have students and I'm saying, OK, hey, we're going to do a project. But I don't put the parameters on what the project is, even if I'm doing something like a research project. I might say, OK, hey, you can do the research project, but I'm not limiting limit. I'm not going to put a limit on what you can actually research. I want you to pick what you want to study. I want you to pick about I want you to pick. I want you to think, what do you feel is important to you to research? So it's about letting students have a little bit of ownership in their learning. Diversity in education is saying, hey, at the end of the day, I understand that we all did not start at the same level. We all didn't start at the same starting line. But yeah. I'm going to make it fair to where everybody can finish together at the same ending point. And what happens is we get into society and it's like, OK, we, well, we celebrated women heritage and we celebrated black history. and We celebrated, you know, uh, Hispanic heritage Month and Asian American. We celebrate it. So it's like we we're all oh, we're diverse. No, we're multicultural. And that's fair, too. That I mean, that is a part of education. But when yeah. you get into saying, hey, you can read books by black authors, white authors, Hispanic authors, you can read, you know, you can get into like anything, because what happens is we're so busy trying to become this melting pot of America and saying that we are celebrating other cultures, but we're not doing what's necessarily in the best interest of making sure that all students are ending at the same finish line together, despite where they start. Mm, good point. Damn good point. Okay, so second question uh, they asked here, why are all the ELA textbooks full of <laughs> nothing but stories from old white guys who died hundreds of years ago? We need to update the text with a variety of stories from more recent authors of all races and both sexes. So what's the ELA textbook? I've been out of school for a minute, so I don't understand the terminology. English, like, it stands for English language arts. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. 
So, because um, people, like I said, people are comfortable with the classics. It's easy for them to say Romeo and Juliet is a classic. Julius Caesar is a classic. Anything written by William Shakespeare is a classic. You know, anything in British literature is a classic. And it's so funny to me because I, even with a doctorate in education, still can't really understand half the stuff in British literature taught in English for. Um, you and I both. Because <laughs> I'm just like, so what does this mean again? Let me find a video. Um, you know, let me find a, the modern version. And I think it's more so, it's just a safe play. Like, you can, you know, they feel like these things are timeless. And don't get me wrong. On one hand, they do have a lot of themes that still apply to today's society. Oh, absolutely. But, like, okay, so, like I told you, last uh, unit I taught, I taught Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. I gave those students probably the most like realistic version of like, let me tell you what Romeo and Juliet is about. I was like, look, two families that don't like each other. And when I say it's on site, it's on site. Like they see each other, they fight in the streets. (laughs) This is it. That's what they're going to do. Then the two kids fall in love. And at the end of the day, they're enemies. They get married behind their parents' back. And then they wind up killing themselves because they realize that they had to, you know, they they couldn't be apart. They didn't want to be apart. And they like, I understand it now. Yeah, like, and then because I was like, you know, when I say it's on site, if they see anybody from the other from the other family, it's on site, you know. But yeah. if you can explain it like, if you can explain literature like that, it makes sense. I can't explain every Shakespeare or every. Um, I can't explain as she said the old white guys. I can't explain any <laughs> all of their literature like that. Yeah. Romeo and Juliet, I can't. But I didn't really understand Romeo and Juliet until probably like two years ago. I mean, I understood it as far as like I knew what it was about, but understanding yeah. it in reference to teaching it to students for there was an actual understanding of what the play was about and why the scenes, you know, were as dramatic as they were. I understand that. But I think what happens is like we get so comfortable with this literature and no one wants to actually change because that's part of education. You have to be willing to change. And we not we're just not realizing that our students have changed, you know, Um, and I think a lot of people have realized that. But I think the people that make the decisions have not realized that our students have changed and their their interests have changed. And there are things that still have those same themes, same understandings, and they're more realistic. Like I remember a couple of years ago, I taught this book called Tears of a Tiger. Uh, by Sharon Draper and she had a whole series and it was about a guy who uh, it was about a, a basketball team high school team and what I loved about it it taught point of view because you you realize you, you read every point of view from all the characters and it was about drunk driving and teenage driving and oh. drinking uh, underage drinking the students connected way more with that text than they probably have with any other text that I've taught why because they had the understanding that they had the basic understanding of okay I'm a teenager I go to basketball games. I'm on the basketball team. Maybe I should not be doing underage drinking and getting in front of a car, you know. So but that was something that that really connected more. And then she had a whole series with that book. And I think things like that connect more with students because they see they can see themselves in it. And the reason why English, I think, has become so difficult to teach is because the students can't visualize being a part of the being a part of the book or being a part of the text. I think when we were in school, and I say we because I know we graduated uh same time. Yeah. When we were in school, I think I could visualize some things, but I remember when my high school <laughs> my high school senior teacher, senior English teacher taught us the invisible man, I was like, we don't know what this stuff means. And she yeah. was just so upset, like, because we just didn't get it. I'm like, I am 18 years old. I'm just trying to get out of high school. I don't know what this stuff means.
means? I don't know how any of this connects to reality. What are you talking about? It was just a hard read. And I feel like sometimes we give students such hard reads that we give them such hard reads that they can't connect. And then they just tucker out of English. And it makes it that much harder for English teachers to connect because we're like, okay, let me show y'all the things. And it's like, I mean... Is that really a thing that applies to today's society? So I, I, I really will, if I ever, ever got to sit in in anybody's face that makes a decision in education, let me say that. Anybody who makes a decision in any district that I have been in or anybody that can make a decision at this point with TEA, I would challenge them to change the text that, are, that students are allowed to read in ELA because it pushes them to just not like to read because it's so hard to grasp and understand the content. I couldn't agree more. I, w- I was the same way. Like when we started reading Romeo and Juliet and Macbeth, you know, that stuff obviously is hundreds of years ago. You know, they live differently. The coach is completely different. I, you know, like you said, when I was in 10th grade, that was like, what, two uh, I don't know, 2000, yeah, 2000, 2001, I want to say maybe, or somewhere around there, you know, I'm like, I, I, I don't, I don't get it. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I, just, I, I, I just, I, I can't, you know, I, I had to breeze through that one. Uh, thank God for Cliff Notes. I put it to you like that. Listen, okay. <laughs> Let me go down this public library, get these Cliff Notes and try to at least make a passing grade on this. <laughs> so I can move on. Exactly. <laughs> oh, and that reminds me, are they do a cliff note still even a thing? Those yellow, remember those little those yellow books, the yellow and black, and they gave like the short mm-hmm. version of stuff. That's still they're, a online. Thing. they're online now. They're, I think oh. they're I think they're spark notes now online. Yeah. Okay. okay. Or Quizlet. Like it's so many online tools for students to really understand and access the literature. But I feel like why should they have to do that? If it was something that was more understandable and more relatable, they would they would they would read it more. Yeah. No, I, I I completely agree. Let's see who's next here. Let's see. Patrick. Okay, so Patrick wrote in a question here. Do you think integration has affected black students learning in a negative way? Say what? <laughs> Do I think <laughs> immigration has affected black students in a negative way? Mm-hmm. I would have to say yes and no. Um, damn, that's a really good question. Um, I, I, the reason I would say no because I feel like uh, that's a whole different um, that's a whole different era of education. So immigration students who don't speak English, they go into the English as a second language uh, department. And they are taught, you know, basically the fundamentals of English so they can adapt to their other classes. I don't think it's I don't think it is really affecting the black community in education because uh, most of those students do not necessarily impact what we have and what's going on with us. And when you think about Texas, I'm thinking about the classrooms I've been in where I taught ESL. most of them were not African-American students. I may, I think I had like maybe two or three from Ghana, but for the most part, they're from Honduras, Mexico, and different places like that. Not that they it's could popular. not be. So I think like the population of immigrants that are coming from African 
American, uh, coming from African societies are very few in in population. I'll say that. Okay. Now, on the other hand, I could say possibly, but more so because I think education is changing overall. So I don't think it's because of immigration. I think it's because education is changing and, and we as a society, as an African-American society, are just not keeping up with the trends of effort of of education. I think some of it is us. I think some of I think it's a I think it's a double edged sword again. I think some of it is us. I think some of it is the school system. Um because I think we we have inadvertently found a way to do still separate but equal, even though that was supposedly outlawed by Thrive versus Board of Education, we're still doing that. We still have the black schools, we still have the Hispanic schools, we still have the white schools. We still have the money going to the schools that are successful, and we still have the we yeah. still have we the talked schools. about that in the previous episode. I'll put the links in the description, folks. <laughs> <laughs> but we still have we still have zoning to where these students go here, and this this becomes a white school. These yeah. students go here, and it's a black school. Or like we have schools where we have magnet programs where we take the best of your students that should come to your school and we take them to a school across town, which is fine because I understand that, you know, they may have a different interest, but we take them to a school across town, which then keeps this school a so-called hood school, as people like to say. So I don't think it's necessary. I think it's just the way we kind of draw the lines in the sand of who goes where. I think that's more so what happens. But I don't think that's really an immigration thing. I think that that has a lot to do with the impact of how the lines are drawn, the the zoning. And I think it has a lot to do with just sometimes I feel like we as a community are just not as knowledgeable about what we the rights we have as parents and as educators to promote our communities. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of times it's, it's just a mis it's a misinformation. It's, you know, it's just that miseducation of of education. And I think we get a lot of information that is kind of told to us, but not explained to us. And I know like when I taught special ed, that was my biggest thing is like, does this parent really understand what you said? Because they're just going through like, okay, they're going through the rights and they're going through this and they're telling you this. And I'm like, pause, do you understand what's being said? Because not so much that I was, even though I was a representative of the district, I'm also trying to understand that does this parent really understand what you're telling them and not just assuming that you're doing what's in the best interest of their student. And I think we as a community, we have to rise up a little bit more and meet education where it is. So we're not so so we're not often getting left behind. Gotcha. Okay. Now and it's funny that you mentioned something you mentioned I want to elaborate on because I was talking to a friend earlier today and I remember when I was in high school. Well, the last high school I went to and I graduated from was Westside, right? So for anyone who knows or people who don't know the Houston area, like Westside High School is, like I said, it's on the west part of town in a very nice, um, hell, what's the what's the economic term? It's, it's in a rich part of town, basically. Like the homes the over there by Westside High School start off easily at a million dollars. No, no joke, no exaggeration on that. But when my junior and senior year my parents moved to the save money on rent we lived on over by westbury well to be more specific we lived on west belford and fondra which was in the hood i've always you can vouch for this doc i've always had an interest in technology computers just overall geek right so Mm -hmm. 
applied for a magnet transfer because when Westside opened, they were going to be the magnet school for IT. Applied, got it. So here I am living in the, you know, the part of town I was living in going way over to the west side of town because of my IT. And it's like, well, don't get me wrong. I enjoyed going to west side, but Westbury probably could have used me more because I've always been at least a B average student interested in technologies. You know, I wasn't a troublemaker or anything like that. But, you know, and Westbury is it. I mean, Westbury has gotten a little better now. They totally redid the school from the ground up and, you know, good for them. But and I hate to say it, but when I was a kid and when my parents moved to West to West Belford and Fondren and I did go to Westbury to like tour the school with my dad and I'm looking around and I'm like, I'm not going here. No, get me. I don't care what we got to do. <laughs> I'm not. I know it's the school I'm zoned to, but no. And then I wasn't a big fan of uniforms, neither. It's like, no, I did enough of uniforms at Pershing. I'm not I'm not going back to to strict uniforms and dress code. No, no. So. <clears throat> Fortunately, you know, Westside had opened up the magnet programs, brand new school was open and my dad signed the paperwork and, you know, the rest of history. And heck, I'm trying to find out now what Westbury's magnet program is. Um, dang, it doesn't say on Wikipedia. Do you know offhand? I don't. But what I will say is this, what I did learn about that, and especially like what you said, if you consider like we went to Pershing, I was all the way off of telephone of Fuquay going to Pershing. I got on the bus what? at six o'clock in the morning and was, you know what my grandma say? So I was going all the way from telephone of Fuquay to Pershing. That was a two hour bus ride every morning. Dang. I got on the bus at six o'clock in the morning, every morning from from uh, what sixth grade all the way until tenth grade, and then I finally convinced my grandmother to send me to Sterling, which was a at that point I got more scholarship opportunities because I went to Sterling. I got more, uh, you know, it was just because a lot of the students in that area was not concerned with college, and I'm like I'm going to college, and they just had yes. they were pushing college, pushing college because they push it in the lower income areas and the lower income schools. The thing about it is the magnet programs are great, but it also takes away from the Mm -hmm. students that could benefit that high school and get that high school more money or any school, get that school more money. So what happens is, like you said, like Westbury probably would have, you know, could have utilized you more for what they needed at the time. But the thing is also is like, but if you want access to better education, sometimes you do have to go outside of your normal neighborhood. And I think that's what really is going on is like the magnet schools take away. I don't think it's immigration, but more so the magnet schools take away from the financial support that they're getting. But I do know a district and I'm not going to name that district, but I do know a district now where even if you go to a school of choice, your scores, your attendance, your your if you're zoned to that other school, your stuff goes back to that school, and that's wow. what they need, and that's that's a good thing because that's what they yeah, need. Yeah, yeah. No, you no, have, not, that's it's probably your better students anyway. So they're passing the state exams, they're passing their courses, they're passing, you know, they're probably the top of the class. So they come back, so that your stuff goes back to that campus, to your home campus. Now you still get, you know, I graduated from this school and you still have that with your class rank and all that, but your stuff goes back to your home school so they get the credit. And that's what really needs to be happening in education is that 
And really what happened, it was the parents had, the parents in that community had an issue with the fact that students were coming from other areas and taking the class ranks and the, and the scholarships and all of that from their students because they were in a program of choice. So because they complained, they were like, okay, we're going to make, the school board made this rule, we're going to do this. And so the rule was, after a certain, you know, at a certain year, it started this year, we're going to send your, your scores, your rank, your discipline, your attendance, it's all going back to your home school. Okay, but that benefits the lower income schools because you're taking 200 students from their schools anyway, that this now makes them look better. So sometimes, you know, people complain, but it becomes a better benefit for us. Oh yeah, definitely. And actually, I just pulled up, I was just curious myself, I put up on HISD's website, it's like West Virginia High School for Visual Arts, okay, and Linked Learning, okay, so. Yeah, that wouldn't have benefited me. And I and I remember too the summer that my dad and I went to Westbury, like the principal, I forgot her name, God bless her, she was a sweet woman. But the head principal of Westbury met with me and my dad and she looked at my transcript and she was like, and she gave us a tour, you know. And, you know, I was quiet. My dad was doing all the, you know, talking and stuff. And I'm just looking around like, lady, you're nice, you're sweet. And, you know, us from us going to Pershing Middle School, you know, we knew a lot of people that went to Westbury. You know, Westbury was one of those feeder schools. You know, it's like, yeah, I got I know a lot of people that go here, but nah, this ain't school for me. Nah, this is <laughs> no, it's like, yeah, yeah, I got to get rid of these uniforms first and foremost. <laughs> like, no, it's like, oh, and just like with you going to Pershing, like, I remember I used to have to wake up at five in the morning, you know, get myself ready to be at Westside for like 7, 7.30, you know, and I think school started like at 7.45 or 8 or something like that. I mean, it was it was brutal, especially with me. And it was my own fault, you know, being a, you know, being a kid, sneaking, staying up on the phone with my friends, sneaking, staying up, playing video games where I should have had everything off. But, you know, that goes back on me. But and kids are going to do that, you know, but it's but I like think the, I think the disadvantage of of going to schools that have it is that they expect you to already have an understanding. Like for instance, I went to Persia and from Persia I went to law enforcement and then I went to Sterling. Okay. I feel like I don't think I would have gotten the scholarships, the grants or anything that I wouldn't have been as knowledgeable about what I needed for college, even though my income would have been the same, but it wasn't such a push at law enforcement because they understand like this is a magic program. You're in a magic school. You already have that understanding. Yeah. Um, but when I went to Sterling, it was a push of we're trying to get y'all to college. We want y'all to go to college. We want you to go to higher education. Mm -hmm. And because of that, like I said, I was able to get I got the Linda Rose scholarship. I got a Papa oh, that, John that, scholarship. That's a big one. Oh, yeah, that was wonderful. And then I got a Papa John scholarship, which to this day, I have never eaten Papa John's food. And I can say that now because they gave me a scholarship. But um, <laughs> I have never. But it was just I was applying for any scholarship I saw because it was a push. And so when I got, even when I got the Papa John scholarship, it was so weird because, and I remember that because it was my senior year, we were in economics and the man comes in, like my, my high school counselor came in and she's like, Michelle McCain's in this class. I'm like, yep, that's me. And she, and so the man comes in with like all these pieces. He gives me a pizza box. I'm like, I ain't order no pizza. First of all, <laughs> I don't even like pizza enough to order pizza. So I'm trying to understand why you give me this pizza box. And so 
you know, I'm like, I didn't, I'm trying to give it back to him because like I didn't order a pizza. Like, <laughs> take Man, I this. Been I didn't order it. So I've been like, um, I'll take that <laughs> right over here. And it was so funny because he was like opening. I opened the box and it was a scholarship. And I was oh. like, oh my god! And they gave my class a pizza party. Everybody was like, we knew you were smart. Like, oh, we got pizza because of you. And I'm like, so I'm giving out pizza. You would have thought I was open. You get pizza. You get pizza. You want some soda? You know what you want. Yeah, but indeed. I feel like I was able to access more because I was at the schools that didn't have, I was in the areas of the schools that they deemed didn't have much. So they were pushing these things and I was like, I'm going to apply for this, I apply for that. And I feel like that was even like the Linda Rose scholarship, that was $10,000. I went to TSU, yeah, that paid my first yeah. two years, you know. Um, so things like that, I think we... Um, when we're thinking about, you know, even diversity just in education, you're looking at that's still part of it. It's like, what is a better option? Is it a better option for me to go to the better schools that have less of a less of a push than it is for like if I went to schools like I know Pearland wasn't really big and popping, but like, you know, people in Pearland, your students come with that understanding of I'm going to college because that's in my that's ingrained in me. From the moment, you know, everybody I know, my doc, my mom's a doctor, my family, my my father is an AP, you know, or something like that. So it's like I know I have to be professional. I know I have to do something to get to that level compared to, you know, other other areas where it's like, you know, maybe maybe I don't see a college culture in my family. So going to college may not be something that really entertains me until a counselor puts it in my brain that I'm going or that I can go or that I can actually access education. So I think like, you know, even with when we're pushing on diversity, it's like, again, we're not all starting at the same starting point. Someone in one area may have that college culture in their family. And they've been known since they were two. They were going to somebody's college. And yeah. then you may have some that didn't start until they were 14. But at the end of the day, I want you still to go there. So I got to catch up for that 14 years that you didn't get. Interesting. OK, wow. So in a sense. Do you think it may be better for like, let's take, like use myself, for example, maybe it would have been better for me to have went to Westbury to have gotten that push for college and apply for all these scholarships. Because I ain't gonna lie, when I went to Westside, I basically just slacked off. You know what I mean? Like I really wasn't that concerned with college. I was like, okay, cool. And I really just wanted to go because it was a brand new high school, like eight times, <laughs> but like $80 million on this campus. And, right. you know, for people who, who's listening to this that, you know, out of the Houston area, like West side itself, the campus is like on, the campus is huge. It's like a, a, a small, actually it's probably bigger than some community colleges, real talk. Like I think the <laughs> building itself, I remember, hearing a thing when I, I first got there when my dad and I went to orientation if you walk from one end of the campus the building to the other you're going across 10 acres and then in the back of course you got a, a full-size baseball field full-size football field you got all these outdoor you know basketball um um you know you got outdoor basketball tennis courts I mean it, it's basically like a college and it's like I just I mean don't get wrong, I, my grades and stuff were decent but you know, I was just there to say, oh, I go to this brand new high school and, you know, I don't have to wear uniforms and I'm living the high life. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I, th I think that's 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 the gimmick. You know what I'm saying? Like you might get there. But again, what do you do or what do they do when you get there? Like I know campuses right now that are pushing, you know, college culture like they, you know, TSI every week and they're making sure that students are getting in and they're applying and things like that. 
But it's a difference when that's ingrained in you as a kid. Like for me, I knew I was going to college because my grandma was like, you ain't gonna do nothing if you, you ain't gonna just sit here. You know, so, you know, your choice is go to college and get a job. And, right. It's like you have very few choices in my family. You do have to go be successful and do something. But there are students who don't have that. And I think like, you know, going back to the question on, you know, this teacher being able to do it versus that teacher being able to do it. I think that's the difference is like because I didn't grow up with a lot, but I always expected a lot of myself. So I always already had that understanding of I can be better than this. You know, not that not that this was bad. My grandmother raised me in a great home, but also understanding that everybody didn't get that experience. So with me, like I said, I can find things that are relatable to students and I can find things to say. Let me tell you why I remember um, when I was leaving one of the last schools that I taught when I was teaching seniors and we they were all so like wonderfully sweet and crying. And so they did like this little like, you know, speech day of telling me like, you know what they were going to do. I've been pushing like you're going to college, you're going to do something you're going to you know, I have been pushing them to do something more. And one student said he was like, I applied to HCC because of you, because I never thought college seemed fun. But you seem like you, you know. You oh, seem no, like you can still be yourself and go to college. I was like, I'm always going to be authentically me. Like, that's just who yeah. I am. Like, I am programmed to be that person. And he was like, but I applied and I got in. And I just like, like, you know, I brought tears to my eyes because one, I was like, I didn't think you were listening to me this whole year because you stared at me like I was crazy. But... <laughs> You know, it was that other part of that's that's terrific. (laughs) Right. But it was just that other part of like you really had listened. And he was like, yeah, he was like, I wanted to tell you that. He said, I'm glad I get to tell you that before you leave that I got accepted. And I was just like, oh, my God, like, seriously, you 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 were listening to me the entire time. And like I said, you can't teach that or teach like being you to someone else. But I also understand that no matter what school you go to, you still have to see like you have to see like no matter where you started, you can still end here, you know. And I think that's what the push is right now when I'm looking at and I'm really, really pushing with diversity for education and all that, because I need people to understand. I need teachers to understand it's not about where they start. It's not about what they bring. It's about where you where you take them when you get them in the classroom. Absolutely. And. I think a lot of teachers have, like you said, okay, I'm going to go here because I don't have to wear uniforms. That was my push. I definitely didn't want to wear uniforms, and I wound up wearing uniforms all throughout high school yet again. Well, oh, that's right. Yeah, because Sterling had uniforms, right? Sterling had uniforms. Yeah. had uniforms. But I also felt like I under, like when I left high school, I had a different understanding of what college was going to do for me. And that was because I went on a college tour. Like, I remember our 11th grade year, I went to, we went to PV and TSU on college tours. Ooh, and I was like, yes! Ooh. I didn't know where I'm I was going. <laughs> I knew I was going to college. I didn't know where I was going. I I did not have an understanding of which college campus I was going to be on, but I knew my freshman, I knew out of high school that fall of 2002, I was going to be on somebody's college campus trying to figure out how I can give me something to eat. You know, because I just, it was just, it was one of those things that it opened up doors for me. And I feel like we don't do that as much as we used to do. Um, We don't do college fairs as much as we used to do. We do job fairs, but we don't do college fairs as much as we used to do. We don't do, you know, we don't do college tours as much as we used to do. Like that to me is where, 
you because you have to open the eyes like you said when you went to west side i was like oh my god this is where i want to be and that was what happened to me when i went to high school i was like when i went to college i was like oh i, I want to be here this yeah. is where i want to be i don't know much about it but this is where i want to be because you know this watch this is this is where i see myself i see students that look like me i see students that are doing what i want to do and i'll figure out the rest later and i think we don't push that anymore in any any high school because we just assume that the students will have an understanding that that's what they're supposed to do you know yeah. what granted i don't have kids but you make a good point because i mean i work with a lot of people and know a lot of people that got kids and i don't like one the, the the one manager I mentioned earlier that you know I used to we used to get into it or whatever, you know she's had two kids since I've known her to get out of high school and we talk a lot like we're real good friends outside of work, and you know I asked about her family and our kids doing everything and I don't I don't remember her telling her with her two oldest that about uh like college day and I even mentioned to um because of her son who graduated high school last year i was like hey if your son wants to go to college when i had asked her, i was like well, hey is he thinking about going to college and she said yeah and i was like well what school she was like oh pv at tsu and i was like hey i know i give tsu a lot of heat but i know a lot of people who went to tsu and that even work there now i was like if he wants a tour let me know and i can make some calls you know you know because you know type of guy i am and she was like okay cool and then when I, you know, I followed up with it, she's like, oh, he, he don't want to go. He just want to do the work thing or whatever. I was like, OK, cool. But, you know, hey, if you change your mind or whatever, you know, I know some good people at both TSU, Prairie View, whatever, you know, um, let me know. I could probably arrange something. But I don't remember her saying because both her kids went to Eisenhower and mm -hmm. not saying that Eisenhower doesn't do the college trips or anything. But I'm pretty sure, especially since she knows how big I am on higher education, you know, she probably would have mentioned that like, oh, you know, my kids went to, you know, Ishmael, you always talk about Prairie View. They went to Prairie View today, loved it. They went to U of H or, you know, TSU or whatever, Sam Houston, whatever, whatever, you know. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of, I'm going to have to do some research. Like, do schools even do that anymore? Because um, I remember when I was going to Spring Woods, we had a career day and a guy from Microsoft came and that caught my eye, you know, with me being a, a tech nerd and everything. And he talked about all the benefits and what their home office in Seattle is like. And I was like, oh, really? Y'all got tree houses up there? What? Like, y'all can smoke cigars? What? In, what? <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> like, <laughs> but but I, 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 think that, I think that's what we, I think, like I said, as the Black community, like you said, um, in the question that Patrick asked, we have to meet education where it is. Like I know if you know if if your if your high school is not taking you on college tours, parents, you know, hey, spring break, yeah, we might go somewhere fun, but we gonna hit up a couple of colleges and see what they talking about, you know. Or in the summer, we gonna hit up a couple of colleges and see what they're going on because that's what gets students excited about the next level, yeah. not what the teachers say, not what. You know anybody else is thinking what gets people excited is actually seeing the culture seeing what's going on and yeah, seeing absolutely. what people are doing no and a lot of people don't don't um a lot of people don't get and this is one thing i try to tell because i work with a lot of young people like i think everybody in my department pretty much is like fresh out of high school and not even 21 yet like let's take tsu and prairie view for example tsu and prairie view geographically speaking in the same area you know what i mean like you could drive to both schools it's a heck of a drive but still but both both universities have different cultures very true you know tsu has a different culture from prairie view 
vice versa. I mean, even coming down to, and of course, the big thing to HBCU is the bands, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and kudos recently, I, I hate to say it, but kudos to TSU's Ocean of Soul recently because, you know, they were at, rest, I don't know if you know, but they were at WrestleMania over the weekend. Like, they actually performed at WrestleMania and welcomed out a woman, one of the female wrestlers who won the world championship for WWE. And how all my friends were hitting me up. It was like, oh, you're a prayer view guy. Look at this. And I'm like, what? huh? That's the Ocean of Soul on the stage? Exactly. I, I'm like, oh, nah, man. Like, But kudos, you know, my, my robbery aside, but, you know, kudos to to, to uh, TSU. And, and I think they also performed at the, no, that was Southern who performed at the Final Four. But TSU, they've been performing at, the the Rockets games at the um what's that basketball team in San Antonio the Spurs they performed at Spurs game <laughs> recently and now they moved up to you know the grandest stage in the mall WrestleMania so and then that's only going to bring more attention, attention to HBCUs particularly TSU and now you know I'm I hope they get a lot of money through this you know what I mean <laughs> you know <with> people <laughs> donating or going to games or going to their events or enrollment you know all of the blessings that's going to come through this because of their hard work, you know, I, 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 I salute them. I hats off to them. Um, exactly. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I'm still, I'm still purple and gold all day, baby. Don't get it twisted, but. Whatever. Um, <laughs> 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 all right. I, I love all schools in this way. Cause I just feel like, <clears throat> but we just get a bad rap. Like, Oh, it's a historically bad college or university. It is, but at the same point in time, I give you such a you get such a grand experience in education and life that you I don't think you get in any other college campus. No, and you know what? I'm I'm so sick of people sleeping on HBCUs. Like, and, and I probably should have known this sooner, but I found out this year, or it was it was late last year, that TSU has an aviation program. I didn't know that till recently. Like, you can literally go to TSU and train to be a pilot. And what is there right now? There's a damn pilot shortage, especially with the big major airlines. And, and I High think School that's... Like, huh? Sterling High School has a uh, aviation oh, Yeah, program. they have an aviation. Oh. Yeah, they're the magnet school for aviation. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, so you sit over there, you get your, and you get your hours and train, and then go to, go to school and, and knock it out and then become yeah. a pilot. And they make good money. Yeah, and, and and I think that's so cool for TSU, HBCU, to have an aviation program. Because, um, I mean, I, you know, we've all traveled before. And, I'm again, I'm not trying to play the race thing. But when you're at the airport and you see these guys in these suits with the little hats on and stuff, it's mostly what? White people. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the pilots and the, the the mechanics and all that kind of stuff. The, it's mostly white people. Not saying that there aren't black pilots, you know, male or female. There are, but the majority of them, especially with your big major airlines, your Southwest, uh, Delta, United, and uh, uh, American, is mostly white people. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, I think that's terrific. And of course, we all know TSU has one of the, and I stand by this as much as again, as much as I give TSU gripe and stuff because of the rivalry, but TSU by far has one of the best law schools in the country not just in hbcus Mm -hmm. but just period that third good marshall school of law is no joke you know what i mean (laughs) no it's no it's no joke but (laughs) i I think that's the thing about it is like a lot of times people don't realize is that in education diversity can be so many different things and like you said okay if i'm gonna go to a school and i'm gonna be a pilot why don't i start in high school so i can go ahead and get my 
you know, let me go ahead and get my thought process on, like, do I actually like this? And then that, to me, that actually helps students because it helps them really understand is that something I really want to do or not? Is this something I really want to spend my life doing or no? And you won't really know that until you experience it. But a lot of times we don't we don't experience things until so late that we don't really have the understanding. Yeah, now you're absolutely right. And let's move on to the last question here from, and I hope I pronounced this name right. Bear with me. Lakeisha. Did I pronounce that right? I don't know. <laughs> I was uh, spelled. Uh, Y-A-K-E-S-H-A. Yeah, Keisha. Lakeisha. Yeah, Keisha. Lakeisha. Mm-hmm. She asks, in elementary education, why are the majority of context teachers women whereas the majority of the african-american men education educators or in physical education jesus christ (laughs) um so i would say it's all about the content it's all about what people teach i would love to see more black men just in education overall sure but i would love to see more black men in elementary Mm-hmm. Because I feel like they really um, could use the the strong male influence. They could really use, you know, that uh, for those who don't have the father figure or anything like that. Yeah. I think the reason why you don't see it more in elementary and you see it more in the upper is because a lot of black men want to coach. And that's nothing wrong with that. A lot of them mm-hmm. want to coach and you don't get to start coaching until like seventh and seventh grade and above. So they don't really want to go to the elementaries because they don't get to coach. They don't get to do, you know, the, the extracurriculars that they like and they get the, you know, the stipends that come with that. And a lot of them don't do it for the stipends, of course, but yeah. they don't get that in elementary. In elementary, you're going to get PE or you're going to get, you know, whatever your regular content is. So yeah. you really can't connect to students on the things that actually make you probably a better educator. So when you don't have that, you're going to gravitate to the higher levels that offer you that. And I think it is a disadvantage to our our younger generation, our younger students, because they don't get to see men of color probably until they come to secondary, you know, high school, middle school. And then, you know, by that time, it's of course like, oh, it's my coach and it's all of that. And And that works well, too. But I think the challenge is, you know, Black men have to see education as more than just coaching sometimes. And a lot of them do. A lot of them do. You know, a lot of them come in and they become APs and they become um, principals of elementaries and middles. But it is more dominated by women on that level because of the aspect of the extracurricular zones don't start until secondary. Gotcha. Okay, that was a good question. I never thought about that because I remember going back to my own childhood. I only had one black male teacher and that was a band director because i played trombone in elementary school <laughs> but far as like my core, yeah my yeah extracurricular exactly but all my core classes were all women yeah until yeah. i until my parents moved to uh we moved to houston and that was my seventh grade year and then come to again come to persian there's this melting pot and it's like oh wow we got mm-hmm. oh all these colors and stuff here okay that's what's up you know <laughs> Let me think. My first African-American teacher, and you didn't have him because you weren't there in sixth grade, was was Mr. Jackson. Oh, I remember He was doing ISS by that time. Okay. But, you know, I used to call him Juice Bowl. Juice, juice bowl. 
Because <laughs> he, he had that Jerry curl. Yeah. <laughs> but he was my, because he was my math teacher for sixth grade. He was my sixth grade math teacher until they moved him to ISS. Okay. And the only reason why I remember that was because I was taking creative writing and I got to do an interview with him about like how did he feel going to ISS. And I was like, so, you know, the question I remember the most was like, why do they, you know, what do you feel about them calling you Juice Bowl Jackson? And he was like, ignorance of the Jerry Curl. And we were like, we cannot print that. You know, my teacher was like, we are not printing that. So we don't keep up with that question. I was like, bruh, like, I'm in sixth grade trying to really, you know, thinking I'm going to be a writer. I'm about to really, you know, break into doing editorials. You just ruined my career. <laughs> I ain't even get a good Never going out of style. Forget these kids. Let me do something else. See, I see, I see you playing too much. See, you, 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 you not doing the way, you not going the way you supposed to. But he was my first like African American teacher, and in my recollection, I don't remember having anybody else. Until I don't remember having anybody else in high school or middle school that was an African American male. I take that back. I think I no. He that's when I started teaching. No, I didn't have anybody else but him. Everybody else was either white female or a white male or black African-American lady. So it's just like, I think those are the things that we don't consider is that we're so busy. And I think, it's, I mean, as educators, you do want to be where you want to be. Yeah. But I think it's also a disadvantage because our younger students are not getting access to a different outlook of life because they're only seeing you know, those teachers who are in the classrooms and they're not actually being able to push beyond that. Gotcha. Okay. okay I want to say, I don't think my, my first male teacher, if I remember correctly, eighth grade Pershing, Mr. Fields, he taught history. See, I didn't have Mr. He I didn't have Mr. Fields. Yeah, he I'm was, uh, he was cluster eight one. I had Miss Faulkner. Oh, okay. I, I remember her. Um, mm -hmm. He was like in what, cluster eight two or eight three? I don't remember. I was in one of them. I was in the AP cluster. I know that because, you know, I bet. Oh, yeah, yeah. Little Brainiac. Yeah, he has a lot of fancy classes and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Don't hate. No, no, I ain't hating. I mean, I mean, I hated back then, but now <laughs> it's like, dang, I should have applied myself more. Like, my parents was trying to tell me, and I've been better off. <laughs> well, that's like no joke. <laughs> <laughs> Heck, nah. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I had Mr. Fields, and he he knew his history. I mean, and he broke everything down to relate it to, you know, things going on currently. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, at the end of the day, there's really kind of like nothing new under the sun. And I think that's one of the problems with society. And I don't mean to go off on a tangent. It's like if we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. Look what's going on today with all these wars and the craziness going on. You know, and it's like, oh, same stuff happened back in the day, you know, but mm -hmm. yeah, I digress from that, but um, shoot, um, closing thoughts, anything? That was the last question we had here. I think all the questions were great, so thanks for everybody who uh, took the time to write in to us. Uh, those are actually great. Let me clear my inbox here. Um, <laughs> I would say as, as we push as a culture, to move into what we can do. We have to also understand that education is a partnership. Yes. It is a partnership between the parents, the instructors, as well as the admin and everybody else in the community. I would love for 
uh, there to be more community outreach to the schools to see like what can you do to better your school and not just accept your school for status quo. I also think that I would love to see more participation from parents so that it's not so much on the teachers to understand what part you want us to play in your child's educational development. Mm. That's all. Yeah, that's hey, that that's that's rules to live by. I, I agree. Uh, wow, I agree. And, and also, I I've been seeing this come up a lot on social media. I think to parents like, OK, like in your household, it was great that your grandmother, you know, pushed you like, hey, you're going to go to college, you're going to do something. But also we got to keep in mind, too, that a college isn't for everybody. It's not and B, depending on what a person, what a kid's interest is. College may not even be the right thing. Like case in point, last year during the freeze. You had pipes was busted, the electrical grid was offline. We needed those skilled laborers to bring society back. You know what I mean? And what happened during the ice storm? We had a huge plumbing and electrician shortage, you know? Um, and hell, if I could go back in time, you know, you know how much plumbers make? Like, <laughs> okay, per I, hour? Listen, huh? yeah, okay, they I'm, make so much per hour. But I, I think I think it's room for both. I think... Yeah. I think there's room for both because I think some students who graduate, like you said, they don't want to go to college. They get a skill or trade, but then they may go back to college like years later. Yeah. I think the issue is that <clears throat> we're so busy trying to we're so busy trying to be reactive to the new students that we're not proactive to the students that we have. Understanding that some students don't go to college, some students don't. Um, some students want a career. Some students want to go to college. And understanding that fine line and preparing them for both. Like, I feel like I left high school very well-rounded with understanding if I went to college, I knew I would be successful. If I went and got a career, I would have been successful. Yeah. Because I felt like I had enough, my teachers, my educators, my admin, my counselors, they had put enough into me for I felt like I could be successful no matter what I chose to do. I don't think we, I don't think we get to do that as educators because we, we're tasked with so much other things that we don't get to put all the well-roundedness in students that we used to. Um, we don't get to do all of those things that would make a student say, if I go this path, if I go this path, I'm going to be successful because we're tasked with doing so much more than the regular smegular, uh, you know, coming to teach and being able to be such a teacher. Because I remember like I saw something the other day and I don't recall where I put it, but it was something like, you know, just saying like the many jobs that teachers have outside the classroom, like a teacher is a therapist, a nurse, a mentor, yeah. a parent, counselor. Sometimes we gotta be a detective. We gotta be we're interior decorators. We gotta be print rich. We're an event planner because we're planning lessons and entertaining students every day. We're a cheerleader to students because we're like, hey, you can do it, rah, rah, sis, boom, ba. Yeah. We're a coach when you need that, you know, keep keep your head in the game. You got this. We're a referee yeah. when students want to fight. At the end of the day, we have to be a comedian because we have to be entertaining. Yeah. So it's like because we have all of these hats that we wear, we don't get to really prepare students like we want to. We don't get to make sure they have the foundations to understand it's a real life out here and let me prepare you for that. Yeah. So that's why I said that partnership has to come in with 
the community businesses and the community um, parents. Like we all have to understand, like we are all playing a role to get them to the next level. And you can't just put it all on us to just teach them the classics and I, and then limit to limit us on what we can teach about the classics. It's just not a fair. It's not a fair fight. Mm, well said. Well said. Well, I, I I can't thank you enough for being so gracious with your time. Keep doing what you're doing in education. You know, of course, Doc, anytime you want to come back on a podcast, just hit your boy up. We'll make it happen. And uh, for anyone listening out there, if you guys want to support the podcast, we have there's many ways to do it. If you want to do it financially, you can uh, subscribe to our Patreon link in the description. That's patreon.com slash the unrestricted podcast. You can support us for as little as three thousand, excuse me, three dollars a month. That gets you access to, you know, early episodes, bloopers, behind the scenes photos, upcoming stuff. You name it. We try to put as much content on there to give you your uh, money's worth. Um, also, you know, you can uh, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Spotify now has a thing where you can rate us and so make sure to rate us. Follow us on social media. Links in the description. Let us know what you think of this episode and others. And also check out Dr. McCain's previous episodes. We talk about education and whatnot. Those links will be in the description as well. So once again, Doc, thank you. It's always a pleasure. We need to hang out sometime. And, you know, it's been a long time since we hung out. Uh, <laughs> I know I'm trying to think I'm like when did we hang out um it wasn't I don't know I remember the last time we met was like at Chacho so I'm not sure yeah, when last time. we'll yeah, get together yeah. soon yeah that 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 yeah no nah, that was that was the one yeah so <laughs> yeah we gotta we'll get together soon so yeah thank absolutely. you so much for having me you know anytime you need me to come on just let me know and I will make it happen okay Hey, I, I wouldn't mind having you on as a regular guest. Like whenever I see some crazy yeah. stuff happen in the news, especially locally with education, want to try and grab you. you on to get your thoughts and whatnot and pump out the episode immediately. You know what I mean? Say less. You got me. Okay, cool, cool. That's a bet. Thank you all for listening. And until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. We are out of here.